Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look at the future of football in Africa as an online conference was held to examine the direction that the African sports industry should take post-COVID-19. We'll hear from Liberia's President George Weir and from South African sports media consultant Gary Rathbone, who believes that clubs must have a stronger digital presence. We have over 300 million people now in sub-Saharan Africa on smartphones. And it just shows you the potential that if you could get a fraction of those people, you know, paying you a minimum of, say, 50 cents a month um, to access your content, you could do very, very well. We also look at a suggestion that some of Africa's traditional sports could be commercialised. And in Europe, Stuart analyses the lack of home advantage in the Bundesliga as they're playing behind closed doors and asks whether it might affect the relegation battle in the English Premier League. So it's a packed show today, and uh, I've been to an online conference to examine the direction that the African sports industry should take as coronavirus has brought it to a standstill. This was organized by the African Sports Ventures Group, a group of African experts on the continent and beyond in the diaspora. Well, it was very, very interesting. Administrators from around the continent attended virtually online, as there were presentations from experts, from athletes, administrators, marketers, government officials, and an address from Liberian President George Ware, the 1995 World Footballer of the Year, and he was very direct about the situation. The lifeblood of sports consists mainly of attendance fees and sponsorship. Where these no longer exist, many clubs will collapse and many leagues will close permanently on the African continent where effective scouting fees our young, talented players to the bigger international leagues. These opportunities will no longer exist. It is therefore my considered opinion that the future of sports in Africa after the COVID-19 pandemic is bleak and problematic. And it's not guaranteed to recover, even to pre-COVID-19 levels for many years to come. This crisis will negatively impact all clubs and all leagues in Africa and all national teams. There will be an urgent need to resuscitate football and all other games and to recognize that the people and institutions involved in sports also require some form of sustenance or support to survive until the crisis come to an end. We further recognize that this is a health crisis, which is now causing an economic crisis, and that restorations of health and the recovery of our economies take absolutely priority to return to normalcy. However, it is important that the global funding that is being raised to fight COVID-19 should recognize the social importance of sports and the important contributions that sports make to unity, peace building, and social cohesion. It is therefore important that some consideration be given to making provision for the sustenance and recovery of the sports sector. 
So that's Liberia's President George Weah. It's a bleak analysis, Ida, but we do have to acknowledge the value of sport and that it maybe should be part of the global rebuilding process and that there's a case for sport in Africa maybe to receive global funding. Well, I hear what George Weah is saying, and look, I respect the fact that he didn't mince his words. I mean, African sport, Steve, will really need something close to a bailout, but that would very much be in an ideal situation. And we know the situation in the continent is anything but. However, before we even look at the grand scheme, I mean, what are governments and federations doing on the local front? Because many will agree with me when I say there's lots of money in Africa that goes the way of corruption that could be used for development in an ideal world. I will give an example of Kenya where the government has rolled out a stimulus package. Now, this will be received by players in the country's top tier that was already struggling prior to the pandemic. So it might not be much, but each player will receive at least the equivalent of about $100. Ideally, the government says it would like to roll this out for about three months. If it will do so is another story entirely. But even as we ask for support, Steve, we have to learn how to be self-sufficient. That is the story of Africa, because had commercialization of sport been taken even remotely seriously in the continent, then the landing to all this would be a bit softer. You know, look, it wouldn't be the easiest still, but it would be a bit softer because many fail to realize that the difference between now and before is the people and the organizations that Africa has always gone to for help. Well, Steve, they're now dealing with the exact same situation on their side. And one will always save themselves first before they save another. Yes, a precarious situation and uh, so many African countries will need assistance from somewhere if they are to rescue their sport. So we're focusing on an online conference that I attended on the future of sports in Africa post-COVID-19. Now, social development specialist Rachel Aaron believes that sport can play a part in the continent's rebuilding process while benefiting from new sponsors at the same time. So she suggested that beyond the traditional sports sponsors, there could be new strategic partners in civil society, community-based organizations and non-governmental organizations. COVID-19 has highlighted some important social issues such as gender-based violence, mental health, disability, and substance abuse. So companies, teams, and athletes can lend their voice to a wide range of advocacy efforts on these and other social issues. For instance, gender-based violence has significantly increased due to or with the COVID-19. Now, I serve in an advisory capacity with the African Resource and Diaspora Network. And we've launched the Give a Red Card Against All Forms of Violence and Discrimination Against Women and Girls campaign. And this campaign is being done with FIFA, UN agencies and other partners. Yes, it could be wise for clubs, athletes and associations to look beyond the usual sponsors and to work with NGOs and the like. Now, one of the strongest recommendations came from Gary Rathbone. He's an African sports media consultant, recently appointed as head of sport at the South African Broadcasting Corporation, having spent many years with Supersport, and he's a huge expert. He told me that he believes that social media can bring sport much-needed income, especially in football. 
I think African clubs have not really fully explored the opportunities that they have in the digital space. And if you look at the comparison between the digital footprint that most of the top international clubs have across Facebook, um, Instagram, and, and Twitter, and, and all of that, um, where they have fans and support amongst numbering in the millions, um, most clubs in Africa don't have that. A few hundred thousand at best, except for with a few exceptions in uh, North Africa and the South African teams of uh, Chiefs, Pirates, and um, sundowns. So there's a huge opportunity here to get into the digital space, to monetize that content with subscriptions by allowing people to get access to the club, you know, club channels and for leagues to basically look to filming the games and making them available on uh, on subscription channels directly to consumers. This is the way the big international leagues are going. The major powerhouses like the English Premier League and um, Bundesliga, La Liga, Formula One has already moved in that way. NBA has already moved in that way. UEFA have already moved in that way. And I believe um, you know this is this is the way things will be going in future. And there's a, an enormous amount more money to be made for leagues um, and, and, and federations in Africa to go this route because we have over 300 million people now in sub-Saharan Africa on smartphones. And it just shows you the potential that if you could get a fraction of those people, you know, paying you a minimum of, say, 50 cents a month um, to access your content, you could do very, very well as a, as a, as a football club or a, or a league or a sports league or a sports federation. That's Gary Rathbone, recently appointed as head of sport at the South African Broadcasting Corporation, a veteran and a huge expert in the business of African sport. Uh, So we've heard this before, Ida, and uh, certainly COVID-19 is thrusting us further into the digital world. Uh, Generally speaking, clubs in Africa have a long way to go in terms of getting a strong presence on social media and having a good website. So Gary Rathbone saying that surely if clubs can get it right, they can monetize social Social media even go this route of charging for content online. Uh, ways may be of clubs getting financial stability in these tough times. Definitely, but those that would really maximize on that now, Steve, are those that had the foresight to start it before, though you know what they say, better late than never. <laughs> uh, the estimate given there of 300 million smartphone users within sub-Saharan Africa, well, Steve, that is a huge, huge niche. And it's a niche that sports betting actually has taken full advantage of working on more or less the same variables. I mean, a growing smartphone population with, you know, uh, a bit of disposable change to spend. And we've seen Africans who, Steve, are supposed to be the poorest populace in the world actually pour billions of dollars into the sports betting industry. The question is, if that can happen for sports betting, why not premium content if properly marketed? If people want something badly enough, they will spend the money. You see the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, fetching close to a million dollars per Instagram post, clearly meaning there is demand from corporates. Now, look, I know we are quite a long way from that, but we have to start somewhere. Steve, and speaking of foresight, just allow me to digress slightly here because I really liked how the Wimbledon tennis tournament set the pace in terms of dealing with the whole pandemic situation. This is a story that stretches 17 years ago and goes to how they reacted to the 2003 SARS outbreak. Now, they started paying out a yearly insurance pandemic premium. And as a result, now with the emergence of COVID-19, have reaped out a payout of over $110 million. 
Once again, I know we are quite a while away from that, but we have to start somewhere. Yes, a foresight goes a long way. Uh, surely football clubs can make money on social media, even though most did lack uh, the foresight to start early on the continent. I should add that another issue mentioned was how poor most African clubs are at interacting with their fans on social media and elsewhere, and that the younger generation expect a meaningful interaction these days. So I've been attending an online conference to examine the direction that the African sports industry should take, with coronavirus having brought operations pretty much to a standstill. Uh, so much more that I could tell you about, but uh, just to summarise, other suggestions were that stadiums could be used to generate more revenue besides match day income. Uh, so in the USA, for example, a stadium could be open more than 250 days a year uh, for stadium tours, for fans, for the use of shops, restaurants, and gyms. That are part of the stadium's complex and so on. Uh, sports tourism is growing too around the world and has a long way to go though in Africa. And just finally on this, my favourite session was on the value that could be unlocked in traditional African sports. Now, Senegal's presidential advisor on youth and sports, Ndongo Njai, highlighted the huge interest in Senegalese wrestling as a model that others can follow. Senegalese wrestling is very uh, a, a very important thing here because it is basically uh, the, the main sport in Senegal. <laughs> Sometimes I would say it can even be more popular than soccer. I mean, the sport, the the, the wrestlers here in Senegal as popular as Sadio Mane. So it is a very, very, very important sport. A night of wrestling, a big when we have a big fight, we have less no less than twenty five thousand people in a in a in a stadium. Youngs and youngsters and other people, we have more than thirty people, thirty thousand people who are involved in uh in in, in, in that traditional uh, in the traditional wrestling. In, in, in the year 2016, the price line, the pricing just were over $6 million. A lot of people are leaving off the sport. Therefore, this is a, this is a big potential which we need to work on in order to make it more than just a, a, a simple traditional sport, but a way of living for other people. So that's Ndongo Njai. He's Senegal's presidential advisor on youth and sports. Uh, so this uh, not football related, but uh, so interesting because uh, two years ago, a World Ethno Sports Federation was launched. Uh, Zimbabwe has affiliated to it. Uh, here we have traditional boxing and many other sports and games that could potentially be marketed and developed. Uh, so many traditional sports, I'm sure they're in Kenya too, Ida. Uh, could some of these be commercialized, do you believe? <laughs> well, to be honest, it's much easier said than done, you know. And uh, I feel that before we spread the net too far, how about we first work on commercializing the the quote-unquote big sports first? I mean, here in Kenya, for example, we have tons of traditional sports, right? But in a country that's famous for its athletes, Steve, and now for some of those athletes to turn to jobs like menial construction work, just to survive during this COVID-19 pandemic, you know, it does say something. So I think that we shouldn't lose focus of the key objectives. Yeah, very true. It wouldn't be an overnight process to grow traditional sports, but uh, for football across Africa and athletics too, for you there in Kenya, indeed, it should be much more financially stable. 
Thanks for that, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, Stuart on how the empty stadiums in Germany seem to be erasing home advantage, and how this might affect the relegation battle in the English Premier League. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and also listen to past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Now let's go to social media. And last week on the show, we asked, should players be paid if they refuse to play in the COVID-19 era? Uh, last week, Watford striker Troy Deeney said he won't be returning to training ahead of the planned Premier League restart for fears of infecting his five-month-old son with coronavirus, as his son has had breathing difficulties. Also, Deeney highlighted that black, Asian and mixed-race people in the UK are four times more likely to get infected. So we asked her if he refuses to play, should he get paid, along with others who have voiced similar concerns. Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard. Well, thanks then, Steve. And we start today with Ibrahim Kalapo in The Gambia, who says, In this kind of matter, any players who refuse to play should not get paid. You can only get paid when you're working. It's a very simple case, says Ibrahim. Francisco Dodoma is in Malawi. What we have here, says Francisco, is a challenging situation where both life and wealth are at stake. In this situation, it's very challenging for someone to be paid while not executing the normal duties. There may be an alternative, including isolating himself from his son and the mother. However, it is very challenging to expect him to still receive pay while he's not training, says Francisco. Habibo Som in The Gambia says the payment issue is a problem because it's not fair to pay both those who refuse to play and those who do play. Health is above everything, so clubs should not risk players' lives. They should wait up until this virus has finally faded away. Bizwek and Jaqwa is in Malawi. I am of this view, says Bizwek. If that player is not working, then why should he be paid? But Richard in Ghana says the opposite. Yes, they have to pay him because he has a contract, says Richard. And we always welcome your voice notes on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's Michael Mboka in The Gambia. Now that we are experiencing this pandemic, I think a player shouldn't be refused of his or her wages. So if a player refuses to attend training or refuses to go back to the field in the name of Preventing COVID-19, I think the players should be paid. And Ali Mami Fofana, also in the Gambia, agrees. Yes, of course. They have to pay that. This will be a signed contract with the club. So no matter what happens, if they refuse to train, refuse to play, they have to pay them. Everybody's scared of the virus. Everybody know They say they don't have no cure for it yet. So imagine if this guy go out there and contract the disease, take it to his family. He's going to put his family in risk. So Alemami is saying there that the club must respect its contract with the player and ensure that the player can train and play in a totally safe environment and not have to put his family at risk. But James Olatunge Rob in Sierra Leone disagrees. Why should they be paid for not playing, says James? There's no way we can even debate this. 
The good thing is that clubs have squads of at least 22 players, so if any choose not to play, I don't see any reason to encourage them and even give them a place on the bench. To me, no play is no pay, says James. And Mohamed Tourai in The Gambia agrees. It's a difficult moment, and to me, you can only be paid if you work for it, says Mohamed. And Arina Aitwe Emi in Uganda shares the same view. No, I don't think they should be paid because they are being paid to play, says Arina Aitwe. Giving such an excuse as Troy Deeney has is right, but players are given hotel rooms where they can stay as individuals away from their families so they can complete the season. I think actions like Deeney's may be looked on as a form of misbehaviour. Kehinde in Nigeria proposes a compromise. Yes, they should be paid in this situation, but not all of their full salary, suggests Kehinde. But many of our correspondents this week share the same view as Olatunde Adeleke in The Gambia. Yes, Troy Deeney and others like him should be paid if the reasons they gave are all proved to be genuine, says Olatunde. The lives of his child and the rest of his family should be more important to him than the club. After all, if anything happened to him, the club will abandon him and just go for another player. His objection has to be considered and taken seriously. Ephrathar Kamanga in Malawi says, I hope he will be paid because he's doing that due to the health of his baby. And Musa Gibber in the Gambia agrees. Yes, they should get paid. I think it should be health before everything, and I'm definitely in support of him, says Musa. And another similar view is shared by Adama Barrow, also in the Gambia, who says, yes, from my point of view, he should be paid. He is safeguarding his family from COVID-19. And finally, Bolong Baji in the Gambia echoes the point we heard earlier about players' contracts. Considering your plight before anything apparently makes sense, says Bolong. Whether they've played or not, I think they should be paid. They have a contract, and this COVID-19 wasn't due to the players' making, so if clubs don't pay the players, that will mean a breach of contract, says Bolong. Well, there we are, Steve. A range of comments, as we'd expect. Some of our correspondents don't believe that players who refuse to train or play due to health concerns should be paid, but many also feeling that because health comes first, players should continue to receive their pay packets, whether they decide to train or not. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this develops in the weeks ahead among other players in the EPL, especially those from the black, Asian and minority ethnic communities, among whom the COVID-19 cases are so much higher. Yes, a strong arguments on both sides. Uh, thanks, Adrian, and thanks for all of those comments. And the latest is that Troy Deeney is set to return to training next week after participating in a medical briefing. And a voice note here from Ebrima Kante in the Gambia, not on this issue, but uh, on the pain of missing football. I personally I miss football. I sometimes, you know, used to even cry because there is no football. I will go to the PlayStation and play and then come back. I don't, I'm at home, not doing nothing because schools are closed. I love football, I love the Premier League, and then all of a sudden for six weeks, everything stops like that. So we hope football, the coronavirus will go soon so that we can all come back to our normal life and then football will resume with the fans at the stadium so that we can all enjoy it. 
Yes, many of us are sharing in your pain, Ebrima, but there might not be too long to wait now with the English Premier League set to restart on the 17th of June. Uh, this week uh, on social media, we're asking, should COVID-19 relief funding be used for African football? Uh, so earlier we heard Liberia's President George Ware giving a bleak analysis of the situation when speaking at an online conference on the future of football in Africa. Uh, he says he thinks many clubs will collapse and leagues will close permanently on the continent unless uh, some global funding is directed towards African sport. Uh, President Ware did emphasize that health and recovery of our economy Economies should take absolute priority, but it is important that uh, some global funding being raised should recognise the social importance of sport. Uh, so, do you agree or disagree? What's your thoughts on this? Uh, should COVID-19 relief funding be used for African football? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three. Okay, let's go to our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK now. And the big news is that the English Premier League is set to resume on the 17th of June, with games being played behind closed doors and a lot of other details still to be worked out. Now, in Germany, there have been three rounds of games played in the Bundesliga since the resumption. Bayern Munich, with that significant win over Borussia Dortmund on Tuesday, going seven points clear at the top with six games to go. Now, amazingly, in those 27 Bundesliga games played since the resumption, there have been only five home wins, 12 away wins and 10 draws, 35 home goals and 49 scored by the away team. So we'll see if there's going to be the same trend in the English Premier League. But uh, what do you make of this, Stuart? But home advantage is a funny thing. If one team is better than the other team, why should it matter where the game is played? But clearly it does, looking at the results. One could speculate that the home team is more familiar with the surroundings, and in fact some clubs make the home changing room much larger and more comfortable than the away one in the hope of gaining an advantage. Then there's the effect that most of the crowd are cheering for the home team. And the reason for that is not just the difficulty of away fans travelling, but that something like 90% of the tickets are available only for supporters of the home team. What the German experience suggests is that the familiar surroundings argument doesn't matter, but the home support and fans cheering does have an effect. And so when you take away the atmosphere created by the home support and play in an empty stadium, it really does seem that the normal advantage of home advantage has been taken away. You will recall that the original plan by the English Premier League was to play all the games at a few neutral grounds to help with the logistics and make it easier to manage. But the clubs wouldn't accept that, insisting that games are played in their normal home stadium. But if the club's motivation was a belief that playing in their own, albeit empty, stadium would give them an advantage, then they seem to have been wasting their time, if the German data is right. Now, that leaves a fascinating question about the bottom of the Premier League. Those of us who try to predict the results of games still to be played were assuming that Aston Villa, Bournemouth, Watford, Brighton would lose most of their away games, but might pick up points at home. The German experience suggests that that was a false assumption, and it'll be fascinating to see whether those clubs fighting relegation can take advantage of the dead atmosphere and see every game as winnable. Now, 
Two interesting developments this week with regard to the Premier League have been the news that they have abandoned the original plan to put players in quarantine in hotels for the duration of the nine games. So players will be back with their families as normal. So far, they have tested 2,000 players and officials at Premier League clubs and have had only, I think it's eight players and officials testing positive. And that is encouraging and sufficiently low for games to restart. Steve, we've speculated about the future of Odion Igalo, who's on loan at Manchester United. And it seems that the 30-year-old Nigerian will be returning to China as his club Shanghai Xianhua are apparently offering him a four-year contract at a staggering $25 million per year. Steve, if you happen to hear of any radio stations in China needing a pundit at $25 million a year, I am available. Timothy Chandler made history this week when he equalised for Eintracht Frankfurt against Freiburg. Chandler was Frankfurt's fourth substitute, something which, of course, could not have happened before lockdown, and the increase in the number of subs from three to five. So remember his name, Timothy Chandler. Historic indeed. So having five substitutes making a difference. Thanks, Stuart. And we'll see if you do get an offer to move to China. Uh, By the way, the English Premier League schedule that's been proposed will have six weekends of matches with games running from Friday all the way through to Monday and three rounds of midweek games with matches on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. So there'll be a lot of matches that fans can watch. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.